Morning, everybody. Everybody get a worksheet. There is one. Do you need one? Oh, thanks. I hope it stays in place. It's kind of slicky and it just slides around where it wants to. So it's not just slick looking, it's literally slick. What are we doing here? Welcome back to our study of John's Gospel, Gospel of Signs. We are up this week to section 9. Had a section 8 last week, which always sounds bad, but it was a good one, I think. We just didn't get everything covered like I want to. But here we are. We're looking at chapters 17 and 18. We're making our way through the Gospel. And if there's anything you want to discuss... Uh, that we didn't really get to do up to this point. This would be the time. Anybody got anything, any holdovers, any alibis you want to come back to? If not, we'll just press on with today's worksheet. Welcome, of course, to everybody here. Welcome to anybody who might be online with us this morning. We're glad to have you. So let's go to chapter 17. Whoop, what's that? All right, that's probably my hearing. I went to the VA this week and had a hearing test. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the poor young guy, he, after, he just kind of looked at me and said, well. <laughs> oh, so I've got some hearing loss. He said, yeah, well, all right, we'll go with it. That, I heard that. I heard it when she said there's nothing else you can do. Yeah, it's got to be the right tone. He would do that. He would he would give me different tones and little beeps and things, and I'd have to respond. Used to be when they did that, they give you a little control with a button on it, and when you heard it, you'd press the button. And I just he just said, just tell me to this time. So I don't know if that's better technology or lesser technology, but anyway, let's talk about John chapter 17. First line is, this prayer falls blank the Passover meal, but blank the prayer in the garden. Anybody got anything for those? After the Passover meal, but before the prayer in the garden. So this is not the prayer Jesus prayed in the garden. Later we'll read that he said, let's, let's go across the Kidron, and they went across the Kidron. Remember that, because that's one of the blanks you fill in so this is not the prayer in the garden this is a different prayer it is sometimes called jesus blank blank prayer anybody know what you would put in that have you heard it called his high priestly prayer that's what it's sometimes called his high priestly prayer now why might it be called that 
What does a priest do? A priest intercedes. He goes to God on our behalf. And that's much of what Jesus was doing in this prayer. He was talking to his father about the apostles, and I believe by implication us, and the things he says in here reflect that very clearly. So it's called his high priestly prayer. It's not called that in scripture, but that's how it seems to come out. So I don't have any problem with that description. In it, he says that the blank is come and ask God to blank him with the glory they had together before the blank was. Boy, that's a lot of different blank. What's that? What's the first blank? That's a lot of blank. Hour. Hour. He's mentioned this idea of an hour before, an hour. An hour in scripture is simply a brief amount of time, but it's a specifically appointed time. This hour. This, this is, there's something about this hour, this time, this moment, if you will, in history. If you ever saw, uh, what was that movie? Hello, Dolly. There's a song. It only takes a moment to, to do what? To fall in love. That's what the song says. If, if you're not into musicals, that's all right. This one's pretty funny. You ought to watch it. Uh, but that moment, that idea, eternity is not time, but this is a point in time that's brief, but it's so profound. And so Jesus says, the hour is come, and he asks God to blank him, glorify him with the glory they had together before the blank was, before the world was. And he'll refer to that again. Jesus said he manifested God's blank to the apostles, his name, and that he has given God's blank to them. So he manifested his name to them and he's given them his word. And they blank that God sent him. They believe. That's super huge in John's gospel, this idea of belief. They believe that he sent them or that God sent him. He asked especially for the apostles and not the blank, the world. John 3.16, we know what it says. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, this is Jesus' personal prayer to his father. And he says, I'm not asking for the world. I'm asking for these guys. These are the ones who stuck with me through thick and thin these last three years. They're the ones who are about to face the difficulty of, of seeing what's going to happen with me. They're the ones for whom he is praying right now. And he prays for them even though they are in the world. He asks that they be blank just as he and God are blank. One, one, oneness. You see this oneness in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They three are one, and they are bringing us into that oneness. Isn't that something to think about? This is what Jesus is praying for. All right, next section, chapter 7, 13 to 26. The world blanked the apostles 
the world hated the apostles because they are not blank it, just as blank is not of it. They are not of it. That might seem like an odd little word to put a blank for. But what does it mean to be of something? Jesus had earlier said, yeah, you're part of it. You're from it. He said, you are of your father, the devil. Why? Because they do the works of your father. He, he was a liar from the beginning, and you guys are liars. That's what it means to be of. But he says, I am from above. And if we align ourselves with Jesus, we will also be of the Father and of that which is above. This is a spiritual thing. It's not about who your parents or grandparents were. It's not about your ancestors, your nationality, anything, except, well, what's it about? What's John talking about? It's who you believe in. Do you believe in the world? Do you believe in yourself or do you believe in God? And if you believe in God, do you believe in his son? That's the question in John's gospel. His point, this is the second line in that second section. His point was not to take them blank of the world out, but that God keep them from the blank blank. The evil one. Don't, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Because these guys have work to do. And you and I have work to do. And this is what God wants. He wants us to do our work here. That's what soldiers do. You don't train soldiers to keep them safe at home. You train soldiers to send them into combat. And that's who we are. We are the Lord's soldiers. His servants. Jesus asks that God sanctify them in the blank truth and that his blank is truth. What does it mean to sanctify? The word sanctify means you set something apart for a special purpose. So he's asking God, set them apart by your truth, by your word. And how does this work with us? Here's how I see it, and I don't know that this is the totality of it, but I know this is part of it. We hear the word, and what do we do? We believe it. And based on our belief of that word, what do we do? We do it. It's like Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father. And that's what Jesus had said earlier. He defined love. You are my friends if you do what? If you keep my commandments. Because he it is who keeps my commandments is the one that loves me. He repeated that three times. And he even said it in a, in a negative fashion. Those who don't love me don't keep my commandments. So that we'll, we'll get the point. It's not about legalism. It's about What James would say and write about later, do you really believe him enough to do what he says? That's the question. Because if you don't believe that much, you really don't believe. What point did James make? 
Even the demons believe. There is no one who believes more firmly in Jesus Christ than the devil himself. But he is not about to do anything that God says. And there's a difference. He was clear that he did not ask for the apostles alone, but for blank who would blank on him through their word. All or everyone who would believe on him through their word, that they all would be blank, united or one, that they all would be one just as he and his father are one. This oneness is so that the blank would believe that God sent him. The world, Jesus said that twice, or he will say it twice. Oneness, our unity, is what shows the world that God sent Jesus. That's a lot to chew on. He then blanked this oneness idea in verse 23. And just put the word repeated. He repeated this idea in verse 2. He keeps coming back to this idea of oneness and how this oneness is what's going to show the world that God sent him. How are we doing on that? I'm, I'm not totally sure how to answer that question because, well, here we are. There's a group of people across the street who believe in Jesus. There's another group of people across the street that way who believe in Jesus. Why aren't we all together? It goes back to verse 17 of this chapter. What does verse 17 say? Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. We, we disagree over some specifics that the word says. What is God going to do with all that? I don't know. That's his business. It's not my business. What my business is, is to look into that word and say, this is why, what I believe it says. And because of this, this is what I am compelled to do. I, I respect everybody else. I appreciate everybody else. But I cannot do the things they do if the word of God compels me otherwise. And so there is our difference. And we will all stand before God to be judged based on what we do with his word. But that word is the only thing that sets us apart from the world. And God knows where to draw the line. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> he knows where to draw the line. I don't. I don't. Maybe you're like me. Sometimes you question yourself. Am, am I even in the truth? God is so high and I'm so not <laughs> that sometimes it makes me wonder. Don? As you know, when we talk about we must do his word. Right. And then what Romans also tells us about the law, which is going to carry you over to Christ's law, that if you're going to do it, you've got to do it all. If you mess up on even one part, you're not going to make it. And so when I look at in the New Testament when it says you must do those things, I look at it as part of that is walking in the light. Part of that is confessing your sins. Right. Sometimes you can get, well, I've got to do them. So we only think about the commandments that we're told to do, and we don't do them. You know, well, boy, I know I'm falling short because it says I've got to do them, you know. 
But it also says keep his commandments. Yes. Part of that is we don't lie to ourselves about what this commandment is, even if it's against us. And so we're walking in the light. We're confessing our sins. We're not denying our sins. So that's all part of it too. Not that we've got to be perfect by doing all of his commands. Exactly. Those are the commands that he says, yeah. The only perfection we'll ever achieve is the perfection that's given us, that's counted towards us, through what? <clears throat> through our faith. God counts our faith as righteousness. That's what he's always done. That's what he will always have to do because we can never attain any measure of perfection that would be sufficient. Like Paul said of himself in Romans chapter 7, we are wretches. I like the song that calls the singer a worm. For such a worm as I. And some yahoo came along and changed the wording. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with you? You, you don't see yourself as a worm before God? I, I like that idea because it helps me to get... a. a more healthy perspective, I think, on on my standing without faith. With faith, I'm a son. That's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 3. Sons of Abraham. It's faith that makes the difference. That's what John is talking about throughout this gospel. All these signs Jesus did so that people could see those signs and believe. And that's why John wrote them all down, because we weren't there to see him. But we can look at his report, his record, his testimony, his eyewitness account, and say, I believe what John said, and so I believe in Jesus. And now I'm going to do what he says. And, and this is what sets us apart from the world. Here we are. Last line of the second section. Here seems a special request to his father. That the apostles see his blank that God had given him where he is. Glory. He seems to be saying to God, I want them to see me and the glory I had. And I want them to see me where I am. Now when he says where I am, I don't think he means there where he's praying. He's talking in the sense of the eternal. His place with God. That's what he wants the apostles to see. And I believe by implication he wants to show us that. And to me that's such a profound idea that Jesus has something he really wants us to see because it's such an important part of himself. It's like when we go somewhere on vacation and it's, it's not just that we see something, it's that we experience something and it impacts us in a great way and, and it's almost certainly because we're just... We're not just there alone. We're there with family or friends or people that mean something. And the whole experience is so fantastic. You wish you could bottle it and take it and give it to somebody else. But can you do that? You can't do that. You can take pictures. You can tell people. But the only way for them to have that experience is to transport them there with everything you have that made it the experience for you. And this is what Jesus wants to do for us, with us, bring him into his glory. That's what he's praying to his father about. I mean, he's about to be arrested and crucified. And what's he asking the father about? Man, I want to show these guys the glory we had before the foundation of the world. I want them to see that. That's what he's thinking about. That's who he's thinking about. And I think by implication, us as well. 
He didn't come just to save the apostles. Those guys are special. They've been with him for three years. But how long have you been with him? How long have you been with him not having seen what the apostles saw? Not having been with Jesus face to face. How long have you been with the Lord? I believe he wants to show you the same things. And me as well. And that's like, me? Me too? I get to be part of that? Oh yeah. It's not about how good you or I are. You or I is. It's about how great he is. It's about how good he is. It's about how loving and compassionate. Uh, it's, it's all about him. Anyway. All right, next section, chapter 18, 1 to 11. Jesus then went with his disciples over the ravine of the blank Kidron to a blank garden. And if you look at the map of Jerusalem, you'll see the Kidron Valley, the ravine. It's called a ravine, called a valley. This place was well known by blank, who had already been Judas, who had already been given the blank cohort as well as officers. Roman cohort. He came with Roman soldiers to arrest Jesus, as well as officers from the blank, blank, and the blank. Chief priests and Pharisees. So think about this. Here's the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, God's son, who's been sent, who's come according to all the prophetic words ever spoken about him. And here, the top echelon of Jewish leadership has conspired with the heathen pagan Romans to go arrest their Messiah and put him on trial. That's what's happening. What time of year is this? What season? Passover season. It's Passover season. What did this group do when Jesus revealed himself to them? They they fell backwards to the ground. (laughs) And then there's no commentary on that. My flesh says this is a great commentary, a great opportunity to make commentary about how strongly impacted these guys were out of fear, the power of Jesus Christ that they have seen in their own streets. But no commentary. Just says when he told them who he was, they fell backward to the ground. The brevity of scripture is... A solid testimony to the fact that it's from God. Men would have written much more about that, I'm sure. Why did Jesus ask that those with him be allowed to go free? Why does John say that? Oh, okay, that's true. So it might be fulfilled, which was spoken. There's a prophetic reference to this idea that Jesus would be taken, but not his sheep, the shepherd would be taken and the sheep would be scattered. So he's, he's referencing this prophetic word. And that's why he asked that. And that's why John says he asked. Even so, Jesus is asking for these guys to go free. What, does, what happens? Simon Peter drew his sword. And here I ask myself the question, Marty? Hadn't Peter been with Jesus three years? How did he not know? How was Jesus' influence over him in those three years? Not enough to show him not to draw his sword. And I don't know. I can't answer that question. But but that's not the way he thought. He thought right at that moment that that was the thing to do. And so he drew his sword. Peter, Peter always showed how much he loved 
Jesus, but the things yes. he did. So drawing his sword was natural. He, he's, he's like a husband. He's trying to show his his master, his in our case as a husband or a wife, how much we love him, but it's always the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> if they could only see. <laughs> yes, Bob. That morning, he had come through the streets of Jerusalem on a young colt. Yes. And the people were laying palm trees and cloaks in his path so the dust wouldn't get up on him, proclaiming his divineness. And so many of the Jews truly believed the Messiah was coming back to destroy Rome and to set the, Jew, uh, the Jewish rule back into place. I truly believe the apostles also believed that. And I think as soon as the Romans came up and Peter saw them, he said, now it's the time Grab the sword, guys. The revolution has started. Right. And so when Jesus rebukes him for this and puts the guy's ears back on, okay, and asks them to be released, they are so confused. They don't know what to do because what they felt like was going to happen for the last three years just disintegrated in their face. Right. And so and this, this is why... It is dangerous to put too much stock in your own conclusions about how things are. That's, that's going to be basically the sermon this morning, which is entitled, You're Full of Baloney. We'll talk more about that, but, but that's what they did. They, I think they had this, this conception of how things were supposed to be. That's not what Jesus gave them, but they had that conception, and so that's what they were going with. And, and this kind of threw him for a loop. Don? In addition to what Bob said, even though he had already told him, I need to die. I'm going right. to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. And they just couldn't get it through their heads. They, they still believe what Bob was saying. They just couldn't get it. And these guys were with him day in and day out. And, and he told them, and you can read how many times the gospel writers record this, but in, in my mind I'm thinking, that's just the times they wrote down. How many other times did he talk to them about that? Or did they reason among themselves about what he had said? And they, and they still didn't get it. And I read that, and I'm so glad it's included because that gives me hope. These guys were with him, and they didn't get it. And I'm reading the book trying to get it, and I don't get everything. And I don't understand a lot of things, and I'm trying to figure stuff out. And I've been a Christian all these years, and it's like I'm 66. Lord, shouldn't I know more by now? Shouldn't I be better? And it's like, no. No, you're still just what you are. You're Yes. Bingo. God's grace is sufficient. That's that's what this is all about. It's about him. We keep trying to make it about us and about how worthy or righteous or unrighteous we are. And he's, that's about me. Just put your faith in me. And I'm bringing you up here. My son wants you to see the glory that he had with me before the foundation. Just hang on. Hang on. But Billy talk about Peter and he denied Christ three times and caught gross so bad. But if you look in verse 15 there, it says Simon Peter was following Jesus and so was another disciple mm -hmm. known to the high priest. But it never says who the other disciple is. Right. 
Yeah. I've often wondered about that. Who else is standing around looking and seeing all this going on, and yet they all scattered, they all forsook him. You know. Well, you're getting ahead of us, Billy. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's the next page. Oh, by the way, we didn't finish that page. Luke is the only gospel writer that tells, us, tells the reader that Jesus blanked the man and blanked him. He, he touched the man and he healed him. John doesn't say that. Matthew, Mark don't say that. But Luke records it so, so we know from Luke. And I don't know why the rest of them didn't tell us that. Because to me, that, that's a significant thing. But that's me. The Holy Spirit says, no, I don't need to have John say that. What do you think I gave you, Luke? <laughs> Go read Luke. Anyway, here we are on the second page. Jesus was first taken to blank the father-in-law of blank who was high priest that year. First taken to Annas. The father-in-law of Caiaphas, or Caiaphas. You pronounce it how you like. I, reading the text, I doubt we'll get a chance to ask him how he pronounced it. Boy, that's a hard thing to say, isn't it? Peter followed as well as another blank disciple, Billy. Unidentified disciple who happened to be blank by the high priest he was known by the high priest and so entered the court and some say it's some say it's john because john will later refer to himself as that disciple whom jesus loved without identifying himself others say no this it's more likely john's brother james there's no way to know you can do your own research but if the Holy Spirit didn't inspire John to tell us, it must not be important. And that's the answer with which we have to satisfy ourselves quite often. Secret things belong to God. Things that reveal belong to us. And who else? Our children. There's an implication there. Tell your children. Peter was approached by a blank blank who accused him of being with Jesus. Slave girl, little slave girl, accused him of being with Jesus. Peter blanked the accusation, denied it, but blanked where he was. Now, the text doesn't point this out, but it's obvious in the text. What did he do? He remained. He stayed. Wouldn't that have been a good time to maybe, oh, they might know who. Maybe I'll slip out of here. Uh, boys, I need to go to the men's room. I'll be right back. Nope. He stayed. That tells you something else about Peter, I think. When Jesus was asked about his teaching, he said he did it blank, publicly. I didn't do anything in secret. I did everything publicly. And that Annas should question those who heard him. For this, Jesus was blank by one of the officers. Struck. Imagine that. Imagine being that officer... When you pass from this life and you realize, if not before that time, at that time, who you struck. Yes. That very well could have been one of the 3,000 in Acts. Yes. yes. He, he might have been. been. Wouldn't, Wouldn't that be great? great? 
to, to, to be, be there. And he could be because God doesn't. He, he, we might hold a grudge. God does not hold grudges. His justice is perfect, but his juster his justered, his justice is tempered. Justered is tempered justice, by the way. That's what that is. His, his, right. Possible not to do. It's it's tough depending on how hard you've deeply you've been hurt. But we see Jesus. What did he say on the cross? One of those seven things was Father, forgive them. Wow. He can say that from the cross. And I struggle with it. Anyway. Popping up on Facebook here lately about Jesus and it describes how he was treated in the process of of being crucified and then how his feet were not just but they were nailed together mm-hmm. and then one so that he couldn't hold himself up talked about how much blood a human body has and about the pain and the agony he went through. And I just It's pretty overwhelming, you know. It is to know what he went through, but yet it was God's plan. It right. had to happen, otherwise we have no hope. <clears throat> Just like Isaiah said prophetically, it pleased God to bruise him. How can that please the Father to do that to the Son? But we know what that means now because we understand God's plan to save us. His only way to save us was through giving up his Son. And so when we see the picture of Christ, we're seeing something that in, in that sense, pleased God to do. When we observe the Lord's Supper this morning, think about that. That was a sacrifice God was pleased to make in the sense that he knew the result would be our salvation. And there wasn't any other way to do it. No other way to do it. always had to be a blood sacrifice. Yes. And I, I think the only reason there had to be a blood sacrifice because it was pointing to Jesus. Jesus isn't the result of the blood sacrifices. No, the blood sacrifices are a result of, of what Jesus would have to do and what he did, in fact, do. Peter is accused two more times of having been with Jesus and again blanked it, denied it. After this, he heard the blank blank, rooster crow. Jesus was led into the blank, so-called because it was where the Roman praetor or leader held court. The praetorium. The praetorium. Ironically, the Jewish leaders did not enter because they did not want to blank themselves so they could eat the blank. They didn't want to defile themselves so they could eat the Passover. Why do I say ironic? This, This is the... Definition of irony. And yet, when you read how the Passover was to be kept, on the tenth day, what were the people to select? You select your lamb on the tenth day. What do you do on the fourteenth day? You kill it. You kill it. And here we are, time of the Passover. How did Pilate at first respond to the Jews? Uh, 
against the man. You know, can't find nothing wrong with it. Take him and judge him by your own law. That's what he said. Because the Romans, excuse me. Romans were always trying to keep peace with the Jews. They were hard people to keep peace with, as history tells us. And so when you could turn something over to their authority, that helped keep peace. And so he said, okay, you, you take this guy. Why did they not want to judge Jesus themselves? That's right. They had the authority, according to the law and what the Romans would allow, to beat someone with 40 stripes. They only beat him 39. Why? They, yeah, they, they might have miscounted, so they, they, only, they would want to break the law, so we'll only hit him 39 times. But here's the Son of God, let's crucify him. And, and that's why they said, no, we're bringing him to you because only Romans can kill someone. Death penalty belongs to you guys, so that's why we're bringing him to you. They wanted him dead. What question did Pilate first ask Jesus? King of the Jews? How did Jesus answer? In, in this case, and I think there was a dialogue here. You put, you put all the gospel writers together and you can get a, a better picture of this dialogue going on between Jesus and Pilate. But what John records is Jesus asking Pilate, who told you that? You come up with that on your own? It's interesting how this plays out. What did Jesus say about his kingdom? It's not a kingdom of this world. If it was, what would happen? I'd have my soldiers fight. I would have been saying to Peter, yeah, man, you did the right thing by cutting that guy's ear off. Let's kill a few more people. That's what Jesus would have said if his kingdom was of this world, but his kingdom is not of this world. Very different. That's something we need to keep in mind as well as as the church. Uh, We see around us all kinds of business models for leadership and handling money and and whatever it might be. But the church is not the world. And so when there's a better way to do things based on the teachings of scripture, that's what we do. Because we are the kingdom of God. We don't have to do things the way the world does. That's the world's model. It's not ours. We have a higher one and a better one. What question did Pilate ask Jesus after their discussion of his kingship? Wow. What is truth? What did he mean by that? What is the truth? And I ask what did he mean by that because your guess is as good as mine. I haven't counted, I don't know how many of us there are, but we probably have that many different opinions about exactly what Pilate meant. But the Holy Spirit says to John, write that down. Write that down, because truth, truth will always be, has, has always been and will always be the issue. What's the truth? What's the truth? We've got Pilate who's asking, what's the truth? We've got the Jewish leaders who are saying, oh, we're not coming in there because we'll defile ourselves and we won't be able to eat the Passover. And we're, we're right with God. So we're going to stay right with God. We're not going to defile ourselves by being around Romans. But we want Jesus dead. 
That's just so crazy when you think about it. All right, last bit there. Pilate told the Jews that he found no blank in Jesus, no fault. Isn't that interesting? Probably one of the few Jewish men he'd ever interrogated with whom he found no fault. No, that's my assessment, not, not anything out of the text. Pilate offered to, re, to, blank him, <clears throat> to blank him, to blank Jesus, to release him according to a Passover custom that at the Passover he would release a prisoner. And I don't know how this plays out because it's so obvious they don't want him released. They're the ones who brought him to him. And so they say, ah, we don't want Jesus. We want Barabbas, who was a a robber. So give us a real criminal. We want the Son of God crucified. Bob? I wonder if this wasn't kind of a setup because the Romans couldn't find fault in him. And the Jews demanded that he be judged. And... Give us a guy who's a known criminal. Pilate said, you want to release the king of the Jews? And they said, we have no king but Caesar. Right. So therefore, they inflamed them about, you know, now went on with this guy, we want this other guy. When you think about Barabbas, do you ever think about yourself? I'm not saying that you should. I'm just saying I look at Barabbas and, oh, what a, what a horrible guy. And he gets off so that Jesus can be crucified. And I think, well, maybe instead of writing down the name Barabbas, maybe I should write down Marty. Because that's what happened for me. I was deserving of punishment. And I'm not going to get it. It's not going to happen to me because Jesus has taken my place. That's what's happening here with Barabbas. That's what's happening with you and me. Jesus is taking our place. He has taken our place. And what Preston was talking about with regard to the crucifixion, as horrible as that was, we'll consider something else about that, Lord willing, during the sermon, about this idea of sin separating us from God. What what does that mean? What does that entail? It's more than I think we can fathom, but it's it's put out there for us to consider. Anybody got anything? I believe this ear heard a bell. So if nobody has anything, let's uh, conclude and we'll come back next week, Lord willing, and do 19 and 20. We're getting towards the end of John's gospel. Lord love you.